So Tom Paul, thank you so much for, for doing this today. Um, how did you start out in this? Um, I think uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I always knew that I wanted to be a, a film director. Um, I'm the youngest of four and my brother was very interested in cinema and very interested in visual arts and kind of in his um, slipstream, I suppose, it was something I got interested in. Um, and consequently, when I left school, I enrolled. The only real film school in Ireland was, at the time was Dunleary. Um, so I went and studied there for a, a little while. But I was working already, uh, making short films and um, comedy sketches and stuff like that with a, a friend of mine, John Carney. And it reached a point where we kind of... Uh, had to make a decision about how seriously to take it or whether to, you know... Um, he was in a band and he was unhappy and I was... Uh, in film school and I didn't love it. Uh, so we decided to, to kind of join forces and set up a company and just start work and what, ourselves. what didn't you love about film school? Um, I mean, I, it was... <clears throat> It was kind of a mixed experience, but I think the the fundamental thing was that was nineteen ninety three. Uh, was that there was it felt like there was no generation of people, uh, you know, older than us who who had um, the industry was so kind of embryonic. I suppose um, I think I had a very clear idea that I, the only job I wanted to do on a film set was direct and write and. So I wasn't, I, it wasn't like vocational training where I wanted to become employable in the industry, you know. Um, and there weren't, like I say, there weren't that many examples of people who had sort of, uh, who had done what we wanted to do. I, I, I mean, I imagine as well, it's uh, that course and that, that college, it was, it was very new, you know. So I imagine it's, it's considerably uh, changed, you know, that. And landscape of film education yeah, you know, in yeah. and training can be such a different beast to working yeah sure I mean I think I, I, I had already had some experience of, of working myself and the, the, the mistakes you make or the things you learn you learn them very uh, very effectively in that I, I, think, I mean I think I'm naturally an autodidact so it was kind of it wasn't the environment for me okay. um, and I, I was fortunate, I think, that I had a, I had a peer or a contemporary who I, um, you know, from whom I could learn, and we could kind of teach each other, and that was. That was, was that John? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and where had you two met? Uh, we, our families knew each other. We, we actually we went to the same national school. He's a few years older than me, so we didn't really know each other as kids, but we met as teenagers and kind of. Uh, had some affinity, I guess, and some common interest in uh, around just a, a love of films and an interest in making them. You know. So after then, um, Dunleary, kind of, what was your first way in, or what was your first attempt? Um, like I say, we had, we had started. Uh, I, I bought a video camera, VHSC camera. I think he had a high eight camera or something like that. It was one of those formats that's now defunct. And we had just started making little 
like I say, little horror films or comedy sketches or five minute things. And uh, as we um, developed, I guess, we just thought we'd apply that methodology to something longer. And we tried to make a feature. Um, like we were so young, like I was 18, 19. Um, and we didn't know what, we didn't clue what we were doing. We just, we just thought, uh, so we made this, we started making this feature which we wrote, which was kind of a road movie. And the idea being that we, we would have one actor who was available to us, we were shooting it on weekends, who would be available for the whole shoot and then other people coming in. It was kind of episodic and structured. So it was structured around sort of, you know, a production um, method that was available to us. But it was a, it was a fiasco. We, we abandoned it after um, a little bit of shooting. And... Uh, kind of went back to the drawing board and rethought our whole strategy and we, we but we still had this idea of making a feature for no money um, and it was it was it was more uncommon in those days like now everyone is doing it and it's, the technology has changed and the whole kind of uh, Kickstarter model of things of doing things on the credit plan you know um, but then it was more rare uh, so we, we we curtailed our ambitions we said we'll make a film that's very it's primarily set in one location that has a limited number of characters that um, you know that was kind of talky and theatrical and that became November Afternoon which we did finish um, and we got a bank loan and we you know called in a lot of favours and we wrote parts for all the actors we knew <coughs> we had a cameraman who was a, a friend who was you know um we did all the other jobs, all the sound recording, all the production design, all that stuff. And that was 1994. We managed to finish it by 1995, six. Uh, and it, it, you know, screened in a couple of festivals and that was kind of its life. But it was, you know, it was made for like 2,000 pounds. Like, and did that, like, did that kind of jumpstart things? Um, I mean, it's not... not the thing was, it was so rare for anyone to make a feature in those days, that, and, and the country is so small and the industry smaller still, that if you did anything that showed any promise at all, I haven't seen the film in years and I'm sure it's totally ropey, but um, everyone knew you straight away. So uh, we got, I remember we got some very good press, you know, we got some very kind reviews, Hewlin and the Irish Times kind of championed the project and, and sort of flagged us as people to watch and that was important I guess just to just you just need encouragement you know um and it it put us on a, on the radar I suppose of the professional industry and the next film we made was a tv movie for RTE was this scheme that was short-lived actually was um to make hour-long tv movies for um new kind of emerging filmmakers and we got uh we submitted a script actually it was John's script I didn't write it um, for that scheme and we got the award and we, we made this movie with um, David Collins of Samson Films produced it uh, and that was our first experience of like real professional filmmaking Peter Robertson was the cameraman um, but we had a proper crew for the first time it was a two week shoot I think but, uh, and what was that like <coughs> going from like, how different was that in terms of what you've done to... Um, I was kind of... I mean, I remember, like, the first day of shooting, sort of, uh, the first AD 
instructing us how, you know, even who calls action, or you know, and that was kind of, we felt, uh, yeah, it was a big jump in scale, but it was, um, I mean, it was actually, it was quite a smooth transition. We, you know, once you kind of got your head around what everyone's jobs were and what everyone did, um, the, the thing of making something on your own is a really good grounding because you do, you know something about everything. You know yeah. something about lighting, you know something about sound, you know something about um, uh, continuity and editing. And um, But yeah, it was, that was... It was it was interesting though that, that like the, that was budgeted that was it was a quarter of a million pounds, and our first instinct was this is brilliant this is a huge pot of money let's ma- let's make a feature and then do a, uh, you know a fifty two minute cut for the deliverable and we were talked out of that and we were, um, advised no just you know do the job fulfill the brief it'll be good for you, and actually looking back, our first instinct was right you know. It, it, it was a lot of money we should have spent it better you know it aired uh, I think a couple of times on TV and once in the cinema and stuff but it kind of it disappeared you know and it could have had maybe longer life yeah I think so yeah, yeah. Um, and were you directing that if John had written yes we co-directed we were, that was our, our kind of it was a slightly unorthodox um, method though again I mean, it was unusual in those days but lots of people have done since you know and how do you co-direct? Like, what, what are the conversations that happen? Um, I mean, I think the idea is that if you've spent enough time in pre-production and you've, you, you've kind of... What you're doing on set is just implementing your plan. And the idea, the theory was that if anyone on the, on the crew or on the cast asked either one of us a question, they'd get the same answer, you know, that okay. we'd, we'd kind of worked enough of it out in advance. Um... But also then it would just be about, you know, one, one person would talk to the crew and one person would talk to the actors or we'd switch places. Or um, I think it was, it was mostly as well a confidence thing. We were, like I say, we were so young that to, to, it would have been very daunting to be... You, you, to be in partnership was a kind of secure and, um, yeah, it was more effective. You know? um, and <coughs> just then, like, the writing... Because uh, you write and direct, mm-hmm. um, was there an initial one that came before it? Was did one come before the other, or um, no? I think I, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be a director. I would, uh, and therefore, at a certain point, I realised I'd have to learn how to write or teach okay. myself how to write because there, um, no one was going to give me a great script to work on. I had to, you know, we had to do it ourselves. Um, but I've never, I, you know, I don't regard myself as a screenwriter in the sense that I'd ever write anything for anyone else to direct. That would be, I find writing hard and actually torturously difficult. Um, and the, like, the, the um, writing is the tax you pay for getting to have the fun of making a film. Okay. It's, the, it's the production part is the, uh, is the enjoyable bit. And um, what, what is so hard about it it's just very hard to do well you know um, someone Thomas Mann I think or someone was saying uh, you know writers are people for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people if you take it seriously at all and you want to do it well and you have a um, then it's difficult it's difficult to write a good screenplay and do you like have you uh, 
an approach or a process if you have to write something? Do you? Do you it changes each time. I mean, I, I the bit that I do, I like the collegial aspect of filmmaking. I like the collaboration. I like the conversation, and so I'm trying to fast forward that whole process. I'm trying to get to the point as soon as I can where I'm I'm talking to actors and uh, locations people and um, producers and cinematographers and everyone else who's involved in the in the process. And so, with with John, and then later with uh, Kieran Carney, his brother, um, it, it, the writing came very much out of conversation. And then you'd go away and kind of uh, work in a solitary way. On, but but you know, um, I've written things on my own, and it's 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 less fun. I just I much prefer. I'm much more um, stimulated by that I method. Think. You know. So, so recently I'm writing a script at the moment with um, uh, Eugene O'Brien, the screenwriter and playwright, and I, I just find that much, it's a much happier uh, experience, you know. It's and again, like, how, how do you write a script with somebody? Is it a um, in that case, I mean, I think, yeah, uh, someone originates it, you know, one or other of you comes up with the idea and... Uh, he's someone he was in my orbit and I thought he might be a fit and I, so I pitched it to him he was interested or it seemed promising and then you just talk it out you know you just talk and talk but it feels less like work you're meeting in coffee shops and you're um, teasing out and you're you know it's kind of speculative at that stage and then someone one or other of you writes up the notes and circulates them you kind of agree on what you're where you're going and I mean a lot of the a lot of the writing work Putting dialogue or putting English on an idea is, is kind of is the easy part. It's all working in, in notes and treatments and um, you know breaking that breaking the thing down into manageable sort of stages uh, and then putting dialogue on it. I mean, we, we, uh, the other example, which was a little more cumbersome because it was episodic, was writing Bachelor's Walk. We did a lot of work with a script and story editor, um, and then we would we'd work work and work on the treatments we'd write them again and again and again and we'd talk them out so that then the person who was tasked with actually ter- coming up with the 50 page script that um, that you were going to shoot was kind of, it was kind of a long weekend you you just stay up and just, just do, it. do it you know but um but the difficult stuff was was all done in advance you know it was all done in conversation and in um, other so forms battery walk then did that come out of the not directly no I think there were actually I'm trying to remember no because there were different commissioning editors actually um, having made November Afternoon and the TV movie I think we had there was a there was a thing looking back which it seemed like we had a, a really good instinct for um, kind of what was happening that that like I say, in 1993, the film board had just been re-established and it seemed like, and there was a kind of a general, I mean, globally, there was kind of an indie film gold rush. So in the mid-90s, to be a, an independent film director was a, you know, a nice spot to be in. What do you mean in terms of funding? And yeah, I mean, in, yeah, financially and in terms of prestige and in terms of everything, it was, it was an appealing proposition but I think myself and John, whether we were that conscious of it or not, we had an instinct that if we got a 
a little bit of a head start that the, the, the field was quite open at, at least in Ireland you know so that um, we had a feeling that there was an opportunity there to stake out a little bit of territory and then having made a couple of things um, the difficulty then was not production was distribution was finding an audience for your work and uh, you know outside of a kind of festival circuit or a um, and so the move into television came out of that idea that that what we we would we would prom- uh, what we, we were proposing was that we would do low budget films on television so episodic television that was stemmed from the production model we'd kind of established um, and so we'd do a, a romantic comedy in eight parts. Uh, shot in in a similar way to the way we had been working, and again, I think it was a, it was an instinct for the, I, you know that predated the kind of the big golden age of television in the f- first part of this century. And again, I think it was just an instinct that that television had been, and again, especially in Ireland, there had been so little Irish TV drama, there had been so little Irish TV comedy that. If you did anything at all that showed any promise, everyone was um, fantastically impressed. Someone was going to do it, you know. And did you, again, was you, were you directing, was co-directing on that? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that, when it was, because it was episodes, we did, we shot it like a film, so it wasn't scheduled in blocks. It was shot, you know, like an, a, 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 a film in eight parts. So we'd have, if we were in a location, if we were in the, house or in the bar we do all the scenes from that from all the episodes on you know across a couple of days or whatever so by the time the whole you would kind of fill in the whole thing even though it would have been broadcast and uh... yeah we weren't chasing exactly yeah, we, yeah. exactly we weren't chasing the production transmission dates we we we'd shot it over a summer and it aired in the autumn okay. and we'd we cut it um yeah, so it was a little bit um, tricky, but the idea was there were three of us writing and directing that. Um, so sometimes, you know, one person would be doing rewrites ahead of... Uh, to, to get kind of ahead of the schedule. Another person would be on the floor and another person would be in the cutting room. And if all those... if, if uh, we, we three directors were all talking to each other about, you know, this scene needs re- rewriting or that you need a pick-up for this scene. I'm looking at the cut here and you need another shot. It, needs re- uh, it was quite flexible, so okay. it, was, it was about us communicating smartly about what it needed. Um, but mostly, yeah, like I say, it, 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 it worked well to the extent that we had, we had worked together in pre-production. We had conceived of the whole show together. We knew the tone of every scene and every gag and every and there like there were instances there's a, there was an example I remember one of the early reviews um, picked out a particular scene and what was gratifying about it from our point of view whether the reviewer was conscious of it or not is that I think I had written the scene uh, Kieran had directed it on the floor and John had come by at the end of the shoot and suggested the 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 last line that was the great gag that got the big laugh or something. So we, we all felt, yeah, we all felt it was our scene, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. Um, and, and it was, you know, that was 
kind of exemplary of how it worked at its best, you know. And where did the idea come out of the, for the whole show? Um, myself and John had an office on Bachelor's Walk. Uh, there were two sources actually. We, we, so we were renting an office when we were, I can't remember what we were working on, I think it was November afternoon, and we rented an office above a, an antiques shop for like 15 pounds a week, I remember it was something tiny. Um, and we were working there, and we, so we liked that neighborhood and that part of town. And then there's, there was a, there's a house on Ormond Quay that um, belonged to someone we knew who's a barrister, publisher. And uh, he subletted into um, like eight apartments, and it was a big old Georgian house, and it was kind of wrecked. Um, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of subsiding all over the place, and there were plaster coming off the walls and stuff. But it was quite atmospheric. It was always full of it was full of actors and lawyers were the two kind of um, populations. And for it's still going actually. I, I played poker there the, a few months ago. <laughs> So there's, at one time or other, like, probably, you know, a few thousand people have gone through that house and lived there for, you know, six months or a year at a time. Or So it has this moving population. We were at a couple of parties in that house, and we thought that was a kind of, um, was a good setting and a promising kind of, kind of just situation. Yeah. 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 So the, the kind of the characters in the house, <coughs> were they loosely derived on people you'd met or knew or I mean sort of yeah it, it was very personal it was very close to like we were uh, I was 25 when that when we started writing that and we were writing about people exactly the same age as us in similar kind of um, stages of life and you know romantic and social and work problems so they were um yeah, the the main character was a film critic, and I was I was working as a film critic briefly. So I, I you know, we just took lots of stuff from our from our own lives. Um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't journalists always wanted to break it down that there were three writer and directors and there were three lead characters and who's who. You know, it wasn't quite as clear cut as that. You you know, you we took a lot from our own lives, but also from people in our orbit and you know yeah and then of course lots of imaginative stuff as well you know um, and did you anticipate that it would be as well received as, as it was um, I think we knew it was good yeah I think and I think we knew that there was an audience crying out for that stuff we had some like I say some instinct for that that um because no one I knew watched RT shows and, yeah. and it was kind of kiss of death to make an, an RT comedy and there was no reason for that except that, that um, whether as an institution or it, there wasn't a perception that it was a, it was a place that good writers um, were welcome uh, and but we had a very sympathetic uh, um, commissioning editor and, and they were they couldn't have been more encouraging. We got to do it our own way. It was really, we were a little kind of gang and we were kind of fearless. Um, yeah, I think, I think I knew it would go down well. I, I mean, I'm quite, I'm not, I'm not sure I didn't, I thought it would have quite as wide a, an appeal as it did. It, it really, and journalists loved it actually. It really took off from a press point of view. Like they were, um, 
and from all um, sort of everywhere on the media spectrum, you know, the Irish Times loved it and the Red Tops loved it and, and for different reasons, you know. Um, but I think that was a lot to do with it. Like, it had a lot of charm. It was hard to dislike and it was, and it was the actors as well. You know, Simon Delaney was a big discovery. Keith McElhane was... Um, they were new and they were, you know... Uh, it seemed it was timely. It was just opportune. I think we were very fortunate like, in the timing of that. Um, and when you say you did it your own way, I may, I may have this wrong. Did you... You said you shot the first film you made on handhelds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you go back to that at some point? Yeah, I mean, actually, if you probably if you see the show now, it was shot on um, mini DV on that format. It was a Canon XL1 camera, which was a prosumer. You know, it was kind of a, a jumped up um, camcorder, and it was. But again, it was this idea that you got the only way to get production value on that kind of budget was to. Um, use the whole city as your backdrop. If you couldn't close streets and you couldn't build things, there was no carpentry, there was no standbys. Um, the only way to get production value and, and sort of spectacle into the show was to take a, a camcorder onto O'Connell Bridge and, and that that uh, had a chance to look brilliant. And it, and it did, but it meant you had, you had to have a very small and discreet crew that shot it. You kind of shot it like a documentary, you know. And at least for one series, before the guys were well-known everyone you know you, occasionally someone would spike the lens or a passerby would say you know would get in the shot or something but not much you know it was really um, and did you I mean, do you need permission and warrants for that sort of thing or is it yeah sure but I mean it, it wasn't it was we were very we were very lean and kind of uh, mobile as a as a production it was uh Yeah, we kind of, we winged it a little bit. <laughs> um, but which was great fun, actually. It was kind of, yeah. it was electrifying. It was really, um, you know, and it was summer. We shot it in July and August every summer. And it was great. It was just, yeah, it was a very happy experience. And, um, and in terms of then directing, like, have you a style or a, a way you like to do that? Or um, It varies. I mean, project to project. I, I've a, I guess... Um, I have an instinct for comedy that my default setting is always kind of to try and make things funny um, and therefore the emphasis is more on performance than on what the camera is doing you know that you're not trying to um, stage things for the camera you're trying to capture the, the um, vivid and interesting and funny performance um, but again that changes I mean from, from project to project you know as I've, as I've got older probably I've, I'm uh, less interested in comedy and more interested in drama and theref therefore you are talking about a different kind of t type of cinema I guess um, but it varies yeah. and uh, like do you do you rehearse is it a um I think for I think for comedy rehearsal it can be tricky can be problematic you're trying to um, 
keep some freshness or some vitality in the performance and not like that was interesting actually uh, doing something that that uh, returned for a second series because that had never been our conception we'd only ever imagined that it would be a one off and then it, it was sort of so successful that that even we were still editing the last episode when the first ones had broadcast so it became obvious that there was there would be an appetite for a second series and we we kind of finessed the ending of the first series to suit that um but we'd imagined it as a standalone thing but it was interesting when we came back to do the second series there was a problem for the performers which is that they were suddenly aware and self-conscious about what was playing really well and what what was funny about their characters and what audiences were responding to and it's and for for us as writers and for the actors it became very hard to not to sort of um respond to that it, and it and it it's some it, it was some self-consciousness that's kind of antithetical to comedy that you um that you're 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 asking for laughs a little bit or you're 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 ingratiating yourself to what the audience expects or, um and that was something that was an interesting um thing to learn because I'd never had that um th- that kind of feedback and that's like for for television shows that run successfully for series after series negotiating that thing is really essential you know and thinking of kind of uh, you know how a character emerges in a show that you imagine. I mean, the famous example is The Simpsons or something. That, so that starts off as where Bart is the main character, and pretty quickly the writers realize that it's that that audiences are responding to, and their much, their real enjoyment is writing for the dad, and and he becomes foregrounded, and he becomes the show, and it, and 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 that's the positive version of that. I mean, there's a. Uh, Love hate, likewise. Uh, Tom von Lawler's character emerges as the as the kind of, and it's it's because the writer is, um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. S- seeing how things are playing and 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 it's evolving in a really good way. You know? Um, and then within that, like, if, if comedy is, are there like, what are your kind of go to comedic shows or in terms of comedy style? Um, there's a, there's a few kind of formative influences that, but I think they would change I mean uh, you know probably like lots of people uh, growing up I was a <clears throat> big Marx Brothers fan big Woody Allen fan uh, I like a lot of Jewish American comedy Mel Brooks um, Neil Simon lots of those people uh, your tastes change though at, at a certain point I, I the things I find funny now probably aren't trying to be funny in quite the same way. Um, Seinfeld was a big touchstone for us making making Bachelor's Walk. Um, Todd Salon's films. Uh, yeah, there's loads. Yeah. I mean, there's loads. Um, so after Bachelor's Walk, then what what was then? Um, I mean that was funny because it felt it was such a big part of our lives for such a long time it took How between the I mean it was a long time in development it was a long time before they greenlit it and they committed to actually make it so we'd made a pilot on our own 
sort of without a broadcaster attached, without any idea. If it was just just as an experiment, really. And that was a long time before it actually went on the air. Like um, Colin Farrell was in the pilot, like bizarrely, <laughs> um, pre movie stardom. Um, the whole thing took like six or seven years. Um, and was and that, sorry, was that the one project you were working on at that time? No, not, no, no, it wasn't. It was kind of stop and start. And then, but once it, once it, once it kicked into gear, it, it, it then, for the, for the three years that, that it was on the air, um, that was our main project, yeah. Um, it felt like that felt like the, the end of a long cycle of like what had started as a kind of of an apprenticeship like and it's like our film school was were the first films we made you know and that's where we kind of learned um the trade i guess or our business um and bachelor's work was the culmination of a, of a of a that kind of a 10-year cycle i suppose um between myself and John and Kieran, you know. And then I think we were... One of the difficulties about being an Irish filmmaker is that there isn't an industry, or there isn't enough of an industry to kind of absorb you, that you have to self-start all the time. You have to keep kind of mustering the resources to, to come up with a new project. And, and, and there isn't, like, like in the UK or like in the States, you, you don't get offered anything. Like nothing, nothing happens. It's amazing. You, you know, um, you're, you sort of feel like you're qualified to, uh, to direct episodic television or to, um, but it was, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, it was curious. There isn't a kind of, we don't make enough of it to sustain yeah. a career. Yeah. It's just a volume thing. There aren't enough. TV shows, or there are, and, and everyone is competing for the same uh, few jobs, I guess, that, that actually you realise that this is going to be the pattern of your life, is, is that you, you'll always have to um, self-start and begin again. And you begin, you don't, you're not quite at square one, because you've, you've accumulated yeah. a certain amount of experience and a certain reputation and contacts and a network, and, and that's all kind of essential but fundamentally you know the you blank the blank page and the hardback chair you have to you know and within that band, sorry within that um, <coughs> has like going abroad ever uh, um, or is that a meeting I think I think one of the things about our because we had some early success um, the age at which that might have been an option. Like if 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 I if I was twenty five now and I I'd be considering do I want to base myself in London or New York or LA or whatever, um, because we'd achieved some some success and some notoriety, and we we were in a position, or I felt in a position where I could get stuff made. Yeah. I, I I you felt you you're very privileged and you're very fortunate to be in that spot. And to, to, to go abroad would, would have felt like beginning again. Because, you know, um, and that would have felt like a step back. And so, yeah, it, it never really, at, at the age where it, it, it might have applied to me, 
I was doing very well here, so there, there was nothing there was, that held no appeal. Um, but yeah, sometimes I, 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 I have been tempted, like I have an English agent, and, I, and you know, it occurs to me that, I, that I, I should be in London probably hustling for um, stuff there. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And, but, okay, so, so then kind of being here then and working freelance and, yeah. uh, like, how hard is that or does it get easier or? Well, it doesn't get easier. Is that That's the slightly disillusioning uh, thing as you, as you go along. It doesn't get easier. But... If you're if you're prepared to sort of cut your cloth and and live a certain lifestyle, then then uh, you're afforded a chance to to do your work. Um, I mean, it's funny because I, I I meet American film directors at festivals, and there's something very covetable about their existence that they're in they're based in LA and they're living in you know and they're in the heart of it and you feel they must have access to loads of sort of and actually it turns out they're you know they're struggling just as much um yes there's a bigger industry and there's a bigger pot of money but there's also many more people competing uh, for the same bit of it and the fact that we have a sort of a national broadcaster that's kind of reasonably accessible and a film board that's uh, will you know will fund in a speculative way a, a, a project if they like the look of it or they like the, the people involved that, that's very that's a very good thing um, and yeah American friends cast envious eyes on the way uh, the way we work here for that reason you know so within that then and kind of starting you know afresh and coming across ideas uh, what is it that an idea has to have for it to stick like are you are you constantly coming up with ideas and then discarding them and pursuing certain ones and um, I think as a writer like I say I don't find it easy and I, I and therefore I'm um but you get crafty about knowing what are, what are, if an, if an idea has has real potential whether it's a film or not um, and sometimes they come sort of fully formed or they're fan, you know you you're you nearly have a eureka moment you hear you overhear something and it's or a it's a true life court case or something like that and you, and you realize that's a film and um Otherwise, I think that there's a sense. I don't have a, I don't have a desk drawer full of millions of unproduced screenplays because I haven't. Before I do that work, before I give over a year or eighteen months of my life to writing a script, I really want to know that a it's that it's a film, and b that it's a film that I can make. I I've no interest in, like I say, in writing scripts for for sale or for other people to direct. So I've I've got a sense of what 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 kind of budget level I can uh, I'm likely to be uh, afforded, um, and therefore what kind of films I should be writing. Uh, so you do pursue. There's a couple of 
you know, sometimes you'll, you'll go down a dead end and it'll, it'll lead nowhere but, and it's kind of frustrating, but you get good at judging whether something has real potential or not. So the, um, the film I'm writing at the moment, I kind of, very quickly, I, it was a, the germ of an idea that uh, I'd, I'd heard years ago of a, of a real, of a true story, and then I, I, I know that's a film, and, I, and a couple of other things have to fall into place for it to, for it to be realisable. But, um... And in terms of how it's changed for you then, so say when you made your first film, um, you just made it. Uh, <coughs> when you were writing now, um, given the success, are, do you know it's going to be made while you're writing it? Is that that you're not pitching uh, it, or no? No, I mean not necessarily. I, I, I'm, I'm making a judgment. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that this is, uh, that this is a good pitch. That this will be of interest to producers and financiers and talent and actors and everyone else who needs to come together and make them. But I'm, you know, you're. Um, Still an act of faith. Yeah, absolutely, and your and your confidence kind of oscillates between uh, massive self confidence or confidence in the idea and and its potential, and then like uh, whatever the word is, crucifying self doubt and shaking it. So, you, am I totally wasting my time? What am I, you know, doing how, this for? How long then, like, is that process of? Uh, again, it depends. I mean, I, I, it, it totally depends. I mean, it, very often a, a thing, a thing will occur to you and it isn't like two or three or five years later, you'll, you'll, something else will click in place that makes it possible or makes it feasible. So you've all these ideas, but it's kind of, a, that's very unconscious, that process, um, I had a, an example. What was I mean? The kind of case study example was um, sensation, um, which was a, a real story that I heard on the radio, and it, it was just a mad story about a farmer running a, a a brothel out of his family farm, and he was it was you know it was this tiny trial. Uh, and it didn't even make the national news. Like I heard it on a on a regional radio station I was, when I was driving the country. And a few weeks later, I woke up thinking about that guy. And he just he just he was a character already. And I knew if that was the end of the story, that that the beginning of the story would be interesting. And I knew that was a film. And I even had a sense of what kind of film. But so that but that was an unusual kind of eureka moment. Um, but I think there was a lot of research, there was a lot of thinking about it, there was a lot of uh, refining and shifting and changing the story before I actually wrote it. It was, you know, it was a long time. Um, um, was that the first... You directed that on your own? Yes, yeah. So was that yeah. the first time you had kind of... Um, yes, basically, that was, that was mine, yeah. I did, I did a film uh, which... Uh, I don't really consider mine called, uh, just before that called Wide Open Spaces which was it, it was a very unusual circumstance actually I was 
um, I was developing sensation and this film, Paul Donovan was the producer, uh, had developed this film with another director and it was fully funded and it was cast and it was kind of ready to go and the director dropped out um, kind of at the last minute and it was offered to me just as a, do you want to shoot this in uh, a few weeks? Like, And I knew that I was... I was deferring my fee to get sensation made and I knew that I wouldn't get paid and I knew that I, that I, yeah, I could benefit from having another onset experience before that happened. So I took the job sort of against my better judgment. There's, there's no way to, to effectively direct someone else's project where, where um, it's been cast by someone else and it's been developed by someone else and, and you're trying to kind of it's like being a caretaker manager of a football team or something. You're trying to fit something that's not... And it, it's never likely to go well. But the, the thing you persuade yourself is like, well, if it's a triumph, then I'm a hero. And if it's a disaster, then it's not my fault. I just got yeah. here. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that said, with, with any of the... It, it's, it's, there's always things to be learned. Whatever you're, yeah. whatever you're doing... Um, there's always out of those experiences you make like uh, you forge really important relationships or friendships or um, professional uh, involvements with people so there's like it's really hard to know uh, what's how how things are going to play out and, and was it was it daunting was it easier was it fine going from co-directing to say then sensation which was yours was oh I think by that stage yeah I mean I'd had en- I had enough experience on set and I'd done like I'd done enough of uh, kind of flying solo on Bachelor's Walk and stuff that, that yeah there was no difficulty around that and also because I'd written it myself and there was no one I wasn't there was no one to gain say uh, what you were doing um, no, I felt total confidence by then, you know. And I also that you have, by that stage, you've uh, kind of surrounded yourself with very like-minded and sympathetic collaborators. That 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 was a very charmed production in every respect. Like it was, it was, it was the right producer for the project. We we were all making the same film. Um, the relationship with. Uh, I had a very close relationship with the cameraman on that, a Dutchman called um, Benito Strangio. Um, Donald Gleeson was kind of essential to the uh, to that project. Like he had, I'd writ, I'd half, I'd, halfway through the writing, he'd kept, come into my head as a as a candidate to play the lead role, and then I'd sort of I'd written it for, for him, and we I'd, I'd shared drafts with him, and we had talked about it a lot. So that was kind of. Um, that was a very well integrated kind of unit, you know. And uh, having having had the germ of the idea, if you like, from this this actual case, um, was that it? Then did you kind of say in terms of casting, or like did, did you did you find out more about that farmer? No, no, I didn't actually. Sorry, I, I willfully I just took the premise. I, I willfully, um, whatever the word is, uh, ignored any other aspect of the, of the true life case. I didn't want to be hostage to the real events. Um, and actually, as it turned out, when I finished the script, uh, 
I think I contacted a journalist who had written a story about it and just out of interest really and, and kind of also caution maybe that I wasn't um, that there weren't any contentious legal aspect to that that I wasn't defaming anyone or anything and so I found out the, the real details and actually it, was, it had nothing in common with my story it, be, beyond that premise you know so there was no um, and I, I wanted to be free to ma- make yeah. up any story I could out of that and what was it idea. about the original idea that kind of showed this joke I mean, it, it is, like, it's a... I thought it was, well, the first, my first thought was that it was hilarious. Um, and then thinking more deeply about it, 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 it was just fascinating. It threw up, it, it seemed to speak... You're always looking for a story that, that, that's kind of small and management scale, but... but is somehow microcosmic, if that's even a word, of some some larger themes or ideas or things or, or things that are current. So it speaks. So it's like a it's like it's like a metaphor for the for a bigger a bigger issue and a bigger problem. And so and I've been I think I've been reading a lot of Michelle Welbeck and um, I was kind of preoccupied with um, certain ideas about about. Um, I guess that kind of coincidence of things, that kind of uh, male loneliness and rural isolation, but in a in a twenty first century context where there's also um, broadband internet and uh, and a kind of global sex trade. It's an interesting economy, um, and it it just seemed as well. It, it was it was the relationship, you know, that these two people who were ended up being defendants together in in court, but had once been partners and lovers, and before that strangers, you know, and so that was that was very peculiar, so and very interesting, just to to um, delineate, I suppose, as a relationship, you know. Um, and what was the most challenging part of filming it? Um, it was mostly very easy it was kind of quite like I say it was quite charmed doing the sex stuff was funny Um, but again quite you know once you kind of got your head around I think I'd written a much more explicit version of the script so that anyone who signed up for it knew what they were kind of getting involved with and actually then I was able to kind of throttle back on that and they, and, and they were grateful and reassured um, but yeah no, I knew you were asking a, I knew I was asking a lot of the the actors that it's a big kind of uh, they've got to demonstrate some faith or some confidence in you as director and, you're, and, and that's around your sort of intention and your you know um, and you've got to persuade them of that, that, you're, that there's nothing kind of exploitative or prurient about your interest in this, these matters. But, but again, like, you'd have to ask them, but I would, I would guess as an actor, doing that stuff, it's like buying a timeshare or something. If it, if it goes really... If, if the film is great, then it was, it was totally justified. If the film is terrible, then you feel that was ill-advised or you were, you know... But I think you just have to be very direct and upfront about, you know, 
practical. And very practical, yeah. <laughs> and actually that was helpful, that, that, that I had this Dutch cameraman um, who was very, um, very Dutch and very <laughs> uh, Protestant about the whole thing, and very matter-of-fact, and, uh, you know, he was kind of where we were more... We'd be inclined to be more squeamish or, you know, more inclined to nervous laughter. He was quite straightforward. Um, where did you film it? Was it in Tipperary? Or? No, um, it was Newcastle West in North Wicklow. Oh, uh, okay. It's set? Is it set? Is it Newcastle West? Sorry, what's the place? No, sorry, I'm sorry. Newtown Mount Kennedy. The reason Newcastle West was my is because that play, and uh, Newtown Mount Kennedy was the town. Yeah, I, I think um, there's always a thing when when you're shooting anything in the country in Ireland that production uh, don't want to squander the budget on hotels and per diems, so they everything gets shot within uh, like an hour's radius of, of of Dublin. So therefore, you know, location matters of a map of Kildare and North Wicklow. That, and those are the places that are available to you. Yeah. And how did you find that place? How did you come across it? Um, location scout found me the house, yeah. And it was and it was kind of... It might have been in my head for this... It just it fitted the script perfectly. Like, it was... Uh, and and it, it gave us everything we needed. It was really practical. And actually, the, the farmer who uh, rented us the place, he couldn't have been more accommodating and nicer and more helpful in terms of you know and does he move out or, or how does that work if you're, if you're I don't think he did I can't remember actually but uh, no he was around a lot because okay. it was a working farm yeah. but we needed you know so he you know they were his sheep he's in the film wrangling them at one point <laughs> um, yeah no it was it was um. Yeah, so in, did it, what kind of, or did anything, because um, you probably start out with an idea of what it might be, mm-hmm. um, in its evolvement and in its, in the process of making it and then in the final piece, is there anything that emerged or that surprised you that, um, um. I think uh, I'm not sure actually. I haven't seen the film in a while, but I I, I would guess it that it's much. It, it seemed more uh, emotional and more like it, it. It has a comic aspect to it, but it's a, but it's not a comic film. Like it's a, it it's. Um, I, you're. I was trying to be quite. You're trying to be quite nuanced in your depiction of that thing because there's a lot of pitfalls. Like. Um, and yeah, I I think it's a much sadder film than than maybe I'd envisioned, you know. That it uh and 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 probably a harder sell, you know. I I uh there's a there's a thing as a as a director that you're you're really trying to make it work for the audience who are who are watching it. You're you're very concerned with the experience of people who are seeing the film. And maybe that's you're doing that at the expense of the people who 
to whom you you should be marketing the film. Do you know what I mean? Is that, is that clear? So that there's, you can be a manufacturer or a retailer, but in fact, probably as a director in in the current climate, you have to have one eye on uh, the difficulties of distributing films and 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 make it easier for the people who are selling them to sell them. You know, so that I, I you you have to make a film that's very true to the material and 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 works for an audience and is satisfying as a, as a story that you're unfolding. But, then, but you're... I, I remember realising when we finished it that, that you were kind of... Um, anyone marketing it was really hamstrung. You know, it was a very hard film to make a trailer for. It was a very hard film to make a poster for. What is this? How do you even describe it? It's got, it's got, a, it's got a, a dramatic heft and it's got a... a poignance and a um, sadness to it and it's also got a comic aspect and they're, they, how those two things sit slightly uneasily together. And was it hard <coughs> then kind of aspect of getting distribution? Um, I mean I think it, it got it got exceptionally well reviewed, we got, we got into you know big big festivals, it played it had this great run, you know Toronto and London and Rotterdam and, um, and it was kind of uh, it was fantastically well received, but I think then in terms of its of its cinema release here, Element Films put it out, and that was, um, and I think they found it difficult to to pitch and to market, you know, um, and even even when it came to like promoting the film for me or for the actors talking about it, it's it's a very hard thing to describe in a. Yeah, in a sentence, you know what I mean? You know? um, so I'm, I think I'm more mindful of that now. I think, that, like, the film I'm writing at the moment, I, I, know, I know what the trailer looks like and I know what the poster looks like. And I don't know whether that's... Again, I don't know how conscious that is, but uh, I anticipate that that will be... It's a more commercial proposition for that reason, you know? Um, and that, you know, that kind of idea that is put out that Irish audiences don't always gravitate towards Irish films. Is that something you found or is it? Um, well, I think, I mean, it's not something I'm defensive about. I think it's a, it's, a lot of the responsibility lies with Irish filmmakers. You know, there's a reason why Irish audiences are cautious about Irish cinemas, that they've been exposed to a lot of bad Irish cinema. Um, that said, in defence of filmmakers, the problem with starting an industry from from kind of from almost nothing, you know, there were, there were, there were, I'm not not to disregard um, the generation older than me who who really must have struggled unbelievably uh, to make to make films in the seventies and eighties, but. Largely, most Irish films that you go and see are are first or second films, and therefore, writers, directors, or producers are only just finding their feet. And you see, after after twenty years or whatever it's been of, of uh, the amount of investment that's been made in Irish film, you you only only by degrees you see the fruits of that investment. And, it, and the evidence of it is the people who, are, who have managed to survive in the industry and make 
two or three or four films, uh, they get better, you know. Yeah. And and they get more. Um, and therefore, audiences are more receptive to them. And I think you know, when we when we do well as filmmakers, by and large, audiences do respond. You know. So it's. N- I mean, it, it's not the, the stories that. Yeah. Is it more kind of? If that's a thing, um, is it more that the stage that we might see these films at? Maybe. Oh yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's also different in the in the sense that the way in which people watch films is so is so changed. The landscape is so changed. Is that you're, and indeed TV shows. Is that t- like fifteen or twenty years ago, the great achievement was to get something made, and um, it was such a novelty to have an Irish television show that people that that all on its own was a was interesting or noteworthy um, that's no longer true but also you're, you're competing if, if something is on uh, you know people don't watch things when they're on TV anymore they watch things yeah. streamed and they watch them on demand and you're competing your TV show is not just competing with what's on BBC One that night or Channel 4 it's also competing with every other television show made in the world this year you know and that's it's very difficult therefore to carve out your little bit of the audience um, for films I yeah I think I think we're becoming smarter about identifying uh, the, the the audience for your movie and speaking to them and trying to find them but but it's not it's never easy it's not you know and how important is the festival circuit? Because um, that, that has kind of exploded and there are festivals. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, well, massively, for the, for the kinds of films that we're making and that we're talking about, um, where there's this idea in, in, distribu- or in, in, sorry, in film sales where they talk about something being execution-dependent. So if you are, if you're working in genre of filmmaking, if you're making horror movies, for instance, there's a there's a sort of built-in audience for for horror movies. So even if you make a second-rate horror movie, it still is a commercial proposition. It still can have a life. Obviously, if you make a first-rate horror movie, the the sky's the limit in terms of um, sort of global box office. If you if you make a film that is you know not a franchise, not a sequel, not a genre film, is a drama, is a grown up sort or a comedy, then unless it's brilliant, it's worthless. Is what the, is what they're saying. So that, so that the, it's very difficult to get money up front because they, a, a distributor or a sales company can acquire it afterwards anyway. So that <clears throat> I make my film and. Uh, if it's rubbish, it's worthless. If it's great, then it it uh, it has a life, a commercial life, or life in the marketplace. And the place where where its greatness or worthlessness is um, assessed or described is a film festival. So that that's where that happens. So um, 
you cobble together a budget from whatever sources and you take your film to Toronto and you get a great review or you go to Cannes and you win a prize and now your, your thing, which might have been worthless if it, was, if it wasn't any good, now it's worth can be... It, it, it has a currency and it has some traction in the marketplace and, it's, and that's when you, you start to get distributor interest and you... So, so all the examples, all the examples of Irish success stories, <coughs> whether it's... Um, you know, once or room or you know, they're of of it, it's every, up to the moment that they screen at Sundance or Toronto and win a prize, they they might be worth zero. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then suddenly they're worth something. Which is such a like the amount of work that goes into it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and there's, there's hundreds of other films who, who are all in the, exactly the same situation. So the festival thing, the fact that the, the festival interview, it's because um, there's many more films that are, um, are made than, than the market needs. You know, there's something, there's whatever number of European films are made every year, and only, we only actually want to watch uh, 100. But um, and is that kind of maybe one of the biggest... Uh, shifts that's happened since you started out it's just the amount of people yeah sure in, yeah 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 um, yeah. Um, yeah like I say we're, we're it was very unusual to make a no budget film in the, in the 90s like a low budget film in 1995 was like 3 million pounds <laughs> and it's, it's been a race to the bottom since then and technology has done that and um so the, the whole method of production has totally changed and, and the volume of stuff that's getting distributed. You know. okay. um, you're directing Red Rock, is that? I am. Um, I, I did a block of it uh, earlier this year, yeah. Um, and is that... How did that come about? How, how is, how um, well, I mean, one of the things... That, in terms of having... I don't know, if you want to call it a career, if you want to sustain a career in this country, you have to be very versatile, has been my experience. So I, um, I have sort of the two strands to your career. One is the, is the, the, the material that we've talked about, that you, where you self-start and you write a script and you fundraise to, to make a film, and it's yours. And the, but the timeline for doing that is very long. It takes yeah. a long time to, to raise money to make a movie because there's so many ways they can be financed you know you only have to get one yes but you, you, you must knock on a thousand doors before that happens um, so the, the, the way that the other sort of strand to my career and it was, it was it comes out of the success of Bachelor's Walk is that I'm uh, employable as a, as a director of um, uh, TV series so the, the two kind of, I suppose, uh, trivia came out of that, was, came out of my relationship with Paul Donovan. Um, but also that I'm in the frame for that, you know, I'm a candidate for that kind of work. So that's a, that's a script I haven't written, um, and I'm, direct, I, I'm invited to, or hired to direct uh, that show. Um, that was a, it, that was slightly different though because there was a I, I I did work with the writer I did sort of story edit the show 
and I and I was I was the sole director on it. So I'm I'm hiring all the HODs. I'm casting it. I'm it's I have total responsibility for the show. Red Rock is slightly different because it is this because it has this so of necessity because it has they have to do eighty episodes a year. It's a kind of industrial process. So they're. Um, uh, the status of the director on the is, is quite different. It's a show for writers and for producers, and they need directors to come in, uh, shoot for like you shoot two days an episode. It's really fast, um, and your kind of your job is really just to turn uh, pages into pictures, <laughs> and uh, you haven't cast the show, so you 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 might. Um, you might have to cast a guest star or someone who's in in just your episodes, but but you you come on board and and the cast are a going concern and they've been they're they're attached from the start, so it's quite different. I mean, it's and it's you kind of have to cut your cloth and adjust your methods to serve yeah, that production rather. But at the same, I mean, it's it's brilliant that you can you are still directing and it's, it's making a living from... Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I, 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 you need to be versatile yeah. and that's, like, you, time management becomes the big part of your work life then. So I'm, last year I did that show, I wrote a script, I, uh, while I was writing I was also teaching, so, and so you're cobbling together an income from, from, yeah, from yeah. like five or six different sources and that's, that's the only way to make a kind of living wage. Um, but at Red Rock, I, I like it was a very happy experience. It was it was it was difficult because it was quite early, and they weren't quite. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. That that it, it's so ambitious for for what it's what for what it's trying to do on the money they have. Um, there's a whole production process that that's being refined as they're as they're going. So, um, but it was no, it was, it was there were uh, it was a good experience. I mean, the the writing is really strong. The uh, the actors are lovely. There's a really good cast actually. I was one of the people. I was um, you have all you you build up all these relationships. It's, like I say, it's such a small industry. But like there was an actor who's in Red Rock he plays Porch Pat Ryan Pat Ryan and I I cast him years ago in Sensation and then used him again in Trivia and I had I like I, I love him he's one of my favourite actors in the country I think he's great um, but no one else had ever at, at least uh, in screen work had ever employed him like he does a lot of stage um, work and to see him uh, in Red Rock, kind of stealing the show, like he's brilliant in it, and he and he's uh, the writers all really like him, and they write very well for him. And um, there's something very kind of nice and gratifying about that, about seeing your colleagues uh, prosper. Um, and in terms of directing, then, like, what do you feel your strengths are? Uh, it's a hard question to ask before others to judge um, I think I love working with actors I, I think um, 
I love that conversation. I think I'm, I think I'm very, um, because I teach actors as well, I'm, I'm kind of, I understand them quite well and I'm sympathetic to their needs. And that's the, that's, that's the huge pleasure. Um, I think I'm very, I think I, I, primarily, I really love it. Like, I really enjoy it. Every minute on set, I love every bit of it. There's no, there's no part of it that's burdensome or a chore or annoying or, um, and that enthusiasm, I guess, when, when, when you're on the right thing and you're surrounded with the right people, uh, that, can, that makes the thing very enjoyable because it's difficult, but it, but it, it, it goes easily and it's enjoyable. Um, I think I'm quite calm. Uh, I think I, when I when the material is right, when I when either when I've written it myself or it's something that I can that I'm adding some value to that I really that I get what it I understand what it needs. Uh, I think what you're bringing is a sensitivity to that and a, and a kind of conceptual rigor. Um, but in terms of, uh, yeah, if I, if I had to put an emphasis, it, I, I, I'm, I'm good, I'm really good with script, I'm really good with actors. I'm on, le- I'm on less solid ground uh, visually, I think, just as a temperament or as a sensibility, I, I have less um, uh, connection, I suppose, to, to photography. But um, I don't know, that's a difficult question. Um, uh, somebody wanting to do what you do, starting out, how would you advise them? Um, I think that I think that thing, I think to be to be versatile and to uh, be collegial and so that you're you're there's a leadership aspect, there's a I mean the the joy of directing and the real is that every part of you is being stretched. Like every, every aspect of your um, personality is being examined. So that um, creatively, politically, uh, you know, logistically, there's, you, you, you're, every aspect of your, your self is being tested, you know. Um, and to be a director is to, it's to, it's to have there's a leadership aspect it's kind of it's it's got a slightly kind of paramilitary quality it's like a campaign or something um, surround yourself with good people i think is would be the big advice because it's not a solitary business. However you get into it, um, the only chance to succeed in it, the odds are so stacked against you in terms of doing it that the, that the only sort of uh, 
chance you have to do well is to be part of a gang and that was the kind of, that was my experience was that what started out as a, as a partnership and a gang of two um, with myself and John we met a cameraman and we became three and then we met someone else and we became five and then we met a whole and and the bachelor's walk gang was this was the kind of um, I suppose the apogee of that idea uh, but every every production forms a different gang you form a different gang around it you find a sympathetic actor or a uh, a producer who has who has en- enough in common with your with you in terms of your ambition uh, so it's a real it's it's a it's a test of your people skills all the time and and actually the, the the where you do your best work is in in there's a kind of necessary tension as a director between you and a producer or between you and a co-writer or between you and an actor between the needs of the production and the needs of the film and that those those things are always in um in tension and in balance and so you're making But yeah, find a gang, get help, because because p- people, and the the more you go on, the more, like you used to have a fantasy that that being a director was about, you know, that you'd stage a scene and the, and it would be terrible and the actors would be awful and then you'd go in and you'd say some magic, you know, you'd whisper some formula or something like a. Uh, and it would suddenly all make sense to them and they'd be brilliant. And, and that's a, that's, that was my impression of what a director did before I ever did it. And it's a total fantasy. It's not <laughs> how it works at all. It's about... Um, inviting, I suppose. The, the script and the project and the premise of the project is an invitation to everyone to make their distinct and essential contribution to the thing um, and actually the if you do that if you set things up properly and, and everyone feels uh, confident to make that contribution or in, and included in that process and a stakeholder in the film then extraordinary things happen you know and they happen all over the place and you know um, that the camera placement that's absolutely appropriate and sympathetic and, and perfect to, to the performance being captured in the events or the, the, the staging that you've designed for the scene when those things happen it's everyone's just going on the same impulse or something and it's some, it's some huge um, hive mind or something you know uh, and that's that's what directing is about, you know. It's about creating a space for people to and making an invitation for everyone to get involved, you know, in that respect. Um, uh, your films that you watch, the favorite films, if you were to go back to. Um, I I I gorge on things. I get I'm I'm a less conscientious film watcher now than I used to be. I used to like the other part of my sort of 
film education was when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I, I was watching 20 films a week. Like, I would watch everything. It was just kind of staggering. I remember, you know, I would go to, what was that video shop in Bank Street? Metropolis or Laser, and you'd get, you'd get three films out a night, and you'd just stay up all night watching them. Yeah. Probably because I have less time. I'm more selective now, but I get... I go through phases of people. So the, in I suppose in recent years, the Darden brothers were a big discovery. Like the, um, I can't remember the first film of theirs. I think I saw was the Child, and I remember for uh, for three weeks after, I just not I watched nothing, but I watched their whole over, and yeah, they were so impressive like just such masterful filmmakers um, who else recently what have I enjoyed uh, lots of things but, but a lot like Leviathan is the best film I've seen in the cinema in the last couple of years I think I just remember being jaw dropped by that movie and I, I'd seen I remember I'd seen his first film whatever it was 10 or 12 years ago The Return and I, and I knew that's a guy who's a little bit older than me but, but um, he's going to make a great film every 3 or 4 years for the rest of you know for the next 30-40 years he's, that's a master you know he's a and, and some of them might be more or less interesting than others but they'll, they'll always be noteworthy and I think I'd seen Elena I really I, I quite liked I didn't see there was one other film that didn't get distribution here that is regarded as a little bit of a misstep but Leviathan I thought was the kind of um, fulfilment of his obvious potential like that sounds kind of condescending or something but it's but I just remember being so stunned by it in the cinema and, and also sort of inspired and encouraged that films could still do that and that there were still people tr- making films that ambitious and that um, serious in, a, in an unserious time or in a time that's less receptive to that kind of cinema. Um, yeah, so that's the, that would be the recent example that would come to mind. Um, um. But yeah, lots of things. I, lo- I love Sam Peckinpah, I love... I love Todd Salons, I love Mars Pila, I've seen recently his movies, uh, which I like very much. There's loads. Um, the biggest compliment that has ever been paid to you or something else about your work? That, um... Oh, um... Uh, there's a couple comes to mind like, like I said there was a um, the first time I, I ever appeared I think I, the first time my name was ever in the paper was for November afternoon and I remember that was such a huge deal that because we had the feeling that we were doing this stuff sort of in private like completely off the reservation we, had, we were not part of um, 
anything. We didn't. We, we weren't in the film industry. We were, just, we were just two people in our. It was like, you know, a startup or something. And to suddenly get the affirmation from a from a respected and articulate film journalist that this was first of all that this was a film and that it was an interesting film and more importantly that that these guys were evidently talented and needed to be watched and that was huge looking back like it was absolutely essential and I think absent that encouragement you know that's an example where the, where the press thing can really affirm you know you and what you're up to in some uh, to get that imprimatur was very important um, anytime anyone gets what you're doing and responds to it on its own terms where, where, they, where they connect at, you know kind of at the level of I suppose a, a sensibility or consciousness because that's that's my experience the, the affinity you have as a viewer for, for films you love is that you you feel some profound connection with the maker and they don't know you exist and you never, you know, so anytime you, you see evidence of that, anytime uh, audiences or critics or anyone really responds to the thing on its own terms, that's very gratifying, you know. And have you, you know, when, when a film, so say when a sensation played, um, have you sat, have you gone to screenings where it's just general audience and that you just kind of, and this um, is a different reception sometimes to a... Rarely, of, rarely actually. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd often, I'd usually, at festivals and stuff, I'd sit for the first five minutes and make sure that the levels were okay and the projection was fine. And then I'd, there's, there's something quite painful about that yeah. as well. Um, and, and also you've seen the film so many thousands of times by then that you're, you're kind of done with it but, but no I don't mind meeting them afterwards you know? <laughs> no difficulty with that um, yeah I have had that experience That's, there's a, if, if you're going to watch things watching comedy is quite good from that point of view and the, because the laughs you get The sound of an audience who's bored at a drama is exactly the same as the sound of an audience that are totally absorbed by a drama. So there's no value in sitting yeah. in the room with them. Whereas the quality of a laughing audience, because the things audiences laugh at are always very interesting, because laughter is kind of unpoliced. So they, people laugh nervously. People laugh to make to affirm that they that they get the joke in quotes or that they and and then other people laugh just because other people are laughing it's that it's kind of infectious or contagious and but so to, to discover to hear the laughs that you're expecting and also the unusual and unexpected laughs that you weren't anticipating is very intoxicating like it's really brilliant um, yeah um, and if you hadn't done this what would you have done um, I have no idea did uh, you fill out a CAO form I did I must have yeah but I but I, I, I left school at like I've gotten basically no education I um, I did a junior cert 
and I and I because I knew I was going to Stanley, it was all a portfolio and an oh, interview, right. so I didn't I didn't do my leaving cert. Um, what else would I be doing? I don't, I don't know actually because I think I, whether I'm not sure whether how fortunate a thing that is, but it was true of me that at, like at 15 I knew that the, that what I wanted to do in life and. Um, I haven't really deviated from that path. Like I say, I do. A, I've done other stuff that's sort of complementary activities, like teaching, like um, film journalism. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of unemployable. I have nothing else to offer the economy than uh, more films and TV shows. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, cool. Tom Hall.